Welcome to the Album Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Andy, Don, and Dude. Ra, ra, rom, ra, ra, gaga, ooh, la, la. Want your band romance? It's the Album Nerds Podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Dude. I got Andy and Don with me. Andy, how you doing, my friend? Uh, Doing good. Doing good. Just uh, appreciating your poker face. Thank you. Thank you very much. Donald. How you doing, my friend? Well, you know, it's it's uh, <laughs> it's tough. You know, the the intergroup dynamics here have been sort of a, a challenge, and it you know might be tough to to get through the show. <laughs> Talking about all our uh, in group torrid love affairs, Don. I know it's a it's a love triangle it's permeated the podcast these last couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I, I took us to an uncomfortable place. Yes, oh, that's first time. <laughs> that you're all about the uncomfortable places. <laughs> <laughs> so this is uh, the Album Nerds podcast. We love talking about albums, the album format, and just generally being jackasses. But today, we've got a great show for you. We're talking about band romances, so those dynamics within bands and groups where romantic... Uh, explorations may occur and the impact there we're going to be going over our album picks that are related to band romances in one way or another we're going to do some shout outs to some album related items that we're digging and then we're going to spin the wheel of musical discovery to find out what we'll talk about next time (laughs) but today it's all about those band romances that's what i'm talking about From Les Paul and Mary Ford to Fleetwood Mac, ABBA, Paul and Linda McCartney, Blake Shelton and Miranda Lambert, to Blake Shelton and Gwen Stefani, popular music has often featured artists entangled in romantic relationships with each other. In some cases, it has fueled powerful works of art. In others, it has been a hindrance. Today, each of us will present a record from artists who are recording with romantic partners. Yeah, it's interesting to think about, you know, there's there's couples that work at the companies together, and but in the same department is always, you know, that's usually the line the HR draws. There is no HR when it comes to bands, so it's interesting <laughs> to, to think about, uh, or maybe there should be, but it's interesting to think about how, how that might affect the muse. So how'd you guys do? What'd you find? Yeah, there was actually quite a few notable examples of this happening where the popular music got tossed out a few that I was enjoying. Tom Tom Club, or self-titled, I believe it was their debut record, 1981. Really fun husband and wife project there, I believe. That's the people from uh, Talking Heads. Right? Yep. Cockatoo Twins, Heaven or Las Vegas, Cockatoo. 1990. It's, it's Cockto. <laughs> <laughs> Are you serious? It's Cockto? Yeah. Cockto. I've never heard anyone say that's Cockto. What I, yeah. That's what I always heard. I mean, you yeah. could be right. You never know. No, that, I, you're probably not, because I very rarely hear anyone say that out loud. Yeah. Say it one more time. Cockto <laughs> Twins? Cockto. Almost like cocktail. But. Yeah, it's, right. it's, it's really not good any way you slice it, to, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, the Fugees, someone I don't often think about as being uh, having a relationship, but Thornhill and Wyclef had a little bit of a romantic past uh, as that group was was forming in the late 90s there. And uh, one other more modern day group I'll throw out, husband and wife pair as well, called Tennis. 
They had a mm. series of good albums in the 2000s and 10s. I listened to uh, Keep Dory, which was their debut record. It was also very good. How about you, Don? Well, I mean, the the first thing I, I think of is, is Fleetwood Mac and all sure. of the, the relationships there. They're a very complicated band. So Rumors, you know, we did, I think, last year and, of course, uh, uh, inducted that into the Album Nerds Hall of Fame. Hell Yeah. Thought about the the Mamas and the Papas, uh, their debut album, If You Can Believe Your Eyes and Ears. Um, so you had Papa John Phillips with Michelle Phillips and Denny Doherty and Mama Cass, I think. Or, or I think Mama Cass was was into him. Uh, one other one I thought about, uh, the other two uh, features two members of New Order, drummer Stephen Morris and keyboardist Jillian Gilbert. They, uh, they did a side project uh, together called The Other Two. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I I kind of hovered in some familiar territory. I thought about Paul McCartney and Wings and and Linda McCartney and the album Band on the Run was would have been my pick. Um, they're kind of the unicorn example of a couple that is like just partners like all the way through till she passed away. And I thought about Johnny Cash and June Carter and Pat Benatar because she was partnered with Neil Garaldo, her husband. He was the guitar player. Uh, throughout many of her hit albums. So I was hoping to find a metal power couple of some kind, but I couldn't really Hmm. find anything consistent. So yeah, it sounds like we all explored this, found quite a few albums, but why don't we get into the ones that we chose? You choo-choo choose me? is one of the most distinctive writers and performers working today. He's kind of a combination poet, jazz singer, and vagrant. He is a mix, mixture of um, Satchmo Armstrong and Humphrey Bogart. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Tom Waits. Well, that applause was overwhelming. It's <laughs> <laughs> a Letterman crowd there. All right. We are indeed talking about Tom Waits and his 14th studio album, entitled Alice. This came out back in May of 2002 and features songs written by Tom and his wife, Kathleen Brennan. Um, The songs are originally written for the stage play by the same name. It's based on the story of Lewis Carroll and his kind of inspiration on the real-life girl who inspired the Alice in Wonderland stories. Um, We are going to play the title cut. This is a little bit of Alice. I must be insane Skating on your name and by tracing it twice. That's like that's probably the most clean Tom Waits vocal delivery I've ever heard. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah he, right? had, he had gargled some salt water. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he cleared his throat and then just for a second. <laughs> Can you imagine if all of a sudden, like one day, he was just like, <clears throat> "Oh, I'm sorry, guys." Uh, yeah, <laughs> just sounded like uh, Elvis Presley or something. Career like over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Wits is you know as as a raspy as ever on this record, and uh, I think uh, I think sounds pretty good. So that track there is, is that you know the, the title cut and deals with Lewis char- character, kind of like longingly watching this this girl ice skating and then eventually kind of comes to his own demise even within this one song uh, really interesting um but yeah this is a really kind of odd collection of songs as you might expect from from mr waits 
Um, my clickbait headline for this record is Waits officially changes residency to Wonderland. <laughs> I think, yeah, he is completely dialed in or moved over into this more uh, <laughs> ethereal plane of uh, existence here, I think, on this record. And it's just kind of a, it's, it's a very, it's got kind of like a softness to here. Everything is kind of like rounded over and, and smoothed over a little bit on the edges. It feels a little bit dreamlike, as you might expect with the Wonderland topic. Waits described the record as an odyssey and dream logic and nonsense, which I think is appropriate. Yeah, I mean, lyrically, it's odd, but there's also a lot of, of odd instrumentation choices as well. Yes, instrumentation, I like the jazziness of it. I didn't expect it to sound so jazz clubbish, but yeah. what's the story? It's like from the opera, right? So, what's is there an actual full linear story is it more like vignettes from what i could gather it's pretty abstract it's, it's a drum okay. and play it's much more about like kind of the shapes that the characters are taking on the stage okay. like, it's very abstract yeah because I, I couldn't catch any kind of narrative yeah i would say it's pretty loose okay <laughs> there's definitely you know a couple of main characters but even in in the album here there's you know we deal with a lot of kind of like uh sideshow kind of feeling characters uh and maybe things that aren't exactly related to the main storyline but maybe have similar feelings that you might get from the main thrust of the story here and but yeah because one thing that was just interesting to learn was how involved his wife is in the writing process and she's also involved in the production of this album which i think is pretty interesting they got married back in the 1980s and um you know i've been together ever since and still you know working together on quite a few projects since then all right let me play another cut from the record here this is uh i'm still here Looked at me that way in years You dreamed me up and left me here <laughs> You know, this sounds like like 60-year-old alcoholic Charlie Brown sitting in a bar <laughs> <laughs> thinking about his Charlie life, Brown. missing <laughs> Snoopy. <laughs> oh, good grief. Yeah, so I, I, I'm still here. It was a, just kind of a short, simple, romantic piano ballad. There's a, a, a few strings kind of come in underneath. I like that, that theme, right? So it keeps starting out with, you haven't looked at me that way in, in years. Um, kind of a, a romantic notion. Uh, I think that song clocks in at like a minute 30 or something like that. I guess I, I'd be interested in seeing how that fits into the, the opera. I like that version of Tom Waits. I, I like the the simple kind of you know piano ballads, uh, you know, with his uh, gravelly uh, voice. So my uh, my clickbait headline for the album is "Cookie Monster appears on Lewis Carroll inspired album." Well, there there is a bonus track. Me want cookie at the. <laughs> <laughs> Me want cookie. But was it the was it the second song or the third song? Everything you can think. Uh, it's like everything you can think is. Uh, you know, anyway. So and he kind of goes to that voice uh, a, a couple of times, which I guess is him being a character. I, I assume. I think all of this is a you know a bit of a character <laughs> to yeah. be honest with you. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, <laughs> I, a lot of times listening to this album, I, I'd just be like, what What am I listening to? <laughs> and, and yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's, you know, the, 
it's in, I suppose this whole catalog is this way, but it's just very enigmatic. You know, at times it's just a really compelling record. It's, it's powerful and meaningful. And, you know, I, I feel a lot, but it also can be, you know, challenging at times. Like that last instrumental track, Fawn. If you listen on headphones, that violin is so shrill. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh my God, I need this to end. Cause it was, it was almost like listening to one of those Philip Glass records that's trying to, mm. you know, drive you crazy. But overall, I mean, I'm happy that, that I listened to this this album i mean it's uh, it's just interesting you know he's one of the interesting characters in, in music and i don't always get him but i, I think i uh, appreciate him and I, I do think he's a um you know a terrific songwriter yeah he's a bit of a mod- modern day poet or he, i don't know he always feels a little bit out of time a little bit out of place you know whenever you see him <laughs> interviewed or uh even on these songs here he just such a unique perspective he brings to the world. Yeah, and he comes up with a couple of doozy stories on this record. I think maybe one of the most memorable ones is called Poor Edward. They were impossible to separate Chained together for life yeah. Charlie Brown again. Oh, jeez. Well, yeah, but this time, he, this time he's at a uh, cafe in France. <laughs> Yeah, so poor Edward contributes to the album's exploration of like this dark, macabre feel, um, but it's also whimsical, just like Alice in Wonderland, which is dark, but also whimsical if you read the books. So he's telling the story of Edward Mordrake, which apparently is uh, a potentially urban legend about this guy um, that had a face on the back of his head. Mm Mm-hmm. And it didn't, it would move and it would like speak to him of evil thoughts. And the, the song is basically, the, the uh, urban legend is he kills himself. And then the, the song is basically about the face on the back is the her whispering things to him. And it's very, very crazy. <laughs> so I thought it was like his face was on the back of his head and his, the back of his head was on the front of, you know, where his face would be. But uh, and now uh, I get it. Yeah. Okay. He's two faced. Yeah. <laughs> Gotcha. Yeah, so it's it's freaking creepy, which I think is part yeah. of, of what drew me to that song in particular. Every time I'm listening, I'm like, I had to go dig in because I'm like, this is weird. There's something wrong here. And then I did a little digging. I'm like, okay, yeah, a guy with two faces. That there we go. Yeah. So uh, my, my clickbait headline is: Prepare for a trip down the rabbit hole of musical madness. Warning: Ooh. May cause existential crisis and uncontrollable jazz hands. Wow. Because it's jazzy and it shouldn't be because it's plotting and creepy, but somehow it all together works. It's I, I kept thinking of like dark Muppets, mm. like that if if the Muppets <laughs> if the Muppet Show or Sesame Street went dark, this it would tell these stories well. It's creepy yet comfortable, and I just I, I kind of like some quotes I I read about his partnership with his wife. Um, describing their collaboration as one person holding the nail while the other wields the hammer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, his wife said, uh, Brennan said that Waits' songs are categorized as either Grim Reapers or Grand Weepers. <laughs> that was cool, too. <laughs> I think that's uh, pretty nice. He sums up his writing. Yeah. Cause yeah. A lot of, it's either like a beautiful ballad, kind of like the track that Don picked there, or it's like a this horrendous <laughs> monstrosity. Yeah. You know? She nailed it. I mean, that is that is a perfect 
description. I think that, I mean, they really, you know, the handful of records that they've released together, um, an album called Blood Money came out right at this, right at the same time as this album that she also was, uh, contributed to. And it's kind of more of those darker sort of like side of, of his music. Um, but it's also a very good record and you can hear you know, her influence on, on those songs as well. Um, I think it's some of the best stuff that, that he's done in his career, in my opinion. All right, that was Tom Waits and Alice. I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. If you're enjoying the show, and we hope you are, do us a solid and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Maybe we made you laugh, or you discovered an album you enjoy. Leaving a review keeps the show going and helps other music fans find us. One, two, three! When the truth is found My favorite part is when it's like, shatata, shatata. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so uh, my pick for a, a band romance album is uh, Surrealistic Pillow from Jefferson Airplane, released in February 1967. It's their second studio album. It's their first album featuring kind of the, the famous lineup of uh, singer-songwriter-guitarist Marty Ballin, singer-songwriter-guitarist Paul Kantner, uh, vocalist... Singer-songwriter, oh, sorry. Vocalist and keyboardist and songwriter Grace Slick, guitarist Joma Kakanen, uh, bassist Jack Cassidy, and drummer Spencer Dryden. Um <laughs> The, Jack Cassidy. <laughs> is, that, is that what it sounded like? Yes. So the, the reason this is uh, appropriate is, is because um, there are multiple relationships in this group throughout its history. Um, Grace Slick was, uh, I, I believe, initially recruited to the band uh, by bassist Jack Cassidy, with, with whom she had a relationship. She also had a relationship with drummer uh, Spencer Dryden, and then finally um, guitarist uh, Paul Kantner. Um, they actually ended up having a, a child together in the 70s. But anyway, here's uh, a, a cut from the album, White Rabbit. And one pill makes you small And the ones that mother gives you Don't do anything at all I don't know how I feel about Don't Trust Your Mother. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, one thing I actually read that um, Slick said was that, you know, she kind of was saying, you know, parents shouldn't be surprised when their kids do drugs after telling them all these, you know, fairy tales and stuff that have these, you know, like dreamlike, atmospheric, um, you know, fantasy things. But anyway, so that song also deals with Alice's adventures in, in Wonderland. Uh, Grace Slick had written it uh, when she was in the group, The Great Society. They recorded it too, right? Yes. Actually, a much longer version, uh, but not quite as uh, aggressive as, as this one. She said that the music was heavily influenced by Miles Davis's 1960 album, Sketches of Spain. Uh, she said, writing weird stuff about Alice backed by a dark Spanish march was in step with what was going on in San Francisco then. We were all trying to get as far away from the expected as possible. Hmm. I just, um, I've always loved this song. You know, it's just always cut through for me. Um, just doesn't sound like anything else out there and it's just i love crescendos you know just you have like this this big climax at, at the end the guitar is just weird sounding and, and eerie and there is sort of that marching rhythm yeah. that i that i love yeah. what what uh drove me nuts about it over the years is the way that the douchebaggery that would sometimes come with people presenting this song like check this out it's about drugs man like yeah <laughs> duh. Uh, we, we've all heard it like <laughs> people would yeah. always act like they had some inside scoop on something that is just weird feed your head man 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> so my uh, my headline for this album is Psychedelica Takes Off with Jefferson Airplane. They're mm. basically like a folk rock group, you know, but they're they're pushing it into the sort of this this new uh, realm. Definitely more aggressive and and more psychedelic. Anyway, let's hear uh, uh, another cut, another famous one. This is Somebody, Somebody to Love. I, I have to admit that uh, I picked that song just because of Jim Carrey's rendition in <laughs> Cable Guy, and that part of it is really funny when he's yeah. warbling. So, <laughs> so uh, sorry, Grace. I mean, that song is pretty obvious uh, what it might be about. I want somebody to love. So there you go. Uh, but that does tie in too with you know romance and relationships being reflected in in the songs. But the one thing with this group that I admire the most is you know don was rattling off all those names no offense but grace slicks is the only one that really sticks uh when i think of jefferson airplane jefferson starship and starship it's her Mm -hmm. um and i think that that's something that maybe she came into this band that existed and she kind of took it she took it over and and, uh i I just like that i like that vibe i like um her whole persona i like what she's what she did with it throughout her career even though i may not love the 80s output at the time i thought it was pretty cool uh the clickbait headline i chose was more love triangles and band romances than you can shake a lava lamp at get ready for a psychedelic journey that'll blow your mind faster than an acid trip in hate ashbury i think there's some some conflicting folk elements here and there um embryonic journey is a track that is instrumental it's very folky and classical guitar-y and i really enjoy it it reminds me of the wonder years tv show where you know the two teenage kids falling in love or falling in like or whatever the hell it is at that age it just sounds like joy like reticent joy and i really dug that track a lot and it kind of was in contrast to the psychedelic output yeah, that song actually. That so that's Jorna Kokkonen, I, I guess Kokkonen, the the lead guitarist. Um, I guess that song goes back to I, I don't know, like when he was studying um, guitar, um, and he you know kind of came up with that song as like an exercise. Great song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that end stretch of songs on this record always just kind of solidifies it for me. You got you got that into into White Rabbit, and then Plastic Fantastic Lover at the end there. Like it's a really it's a strong finish. Right, well, let's go. Uh, let's go back to the earlier part of the record. Uh, here's a song called "Today." You're making me say that I somehow have changed. Today, you look into my. Yeah, I think, that, I think that song stands out as just being beautifully written. Reportedly, originally written for Tony Bennett. By Marty mm. Ballon, who I guess was in the same record, recording studio where they were cutting this record. Glad it ended up on the Jefferson album because I think it, it works really well. It's just a, a beautiful ballad. I don't know. I mean, you know, dude was saying how how much Grace Slick kind of like is this band for him, but I was really impressed by how how well they sound as a group on here. And it, it does feel like a to me like a pretty large ensemble, you know, as they're playing. And I think uh, you know the male vocals they do they work pretty well for me. It's you know it's very like '60s San Francisco sounding, and I think mm-hmm. I mean that is a, a great time in music. Arguably one of the most influential and creative moments you know in, in popular music. They helped build that city. We built the- 
Yeah. <laughs> we built that city on folk rock, man. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, just the influences that come from this record, I think, is just are huge. You know, the impact on the industry, and that ties into my clickbait headline. Jefferson Airbilling provides comfortable support to the music industry for decades to come. Sounds like an undergarment. Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's a really impressive record. Man. It's only like 35 minutes, but mm-hmm. they cover so much ground. There's no, there's no messing around. Each song is, is very economical and, and gets through a lot of really interesting ideas very quickly. And it's from track to track. It's, it's very, very varied. <laughs> you know, there's a lot. A lot of different sounds here. Very, very, very. <laughs> yeah, definitely. One one thing I take issue with, the, the title of the album I don't feel is very compelling. It doesn't draw you in, uh, at least not me. Like if I, I've scrolled through Jefferson Airplane albums before and avoided this one because it looked boring based on the title and the... An album cover. Uh, it doesn't. It, it, there's you, surrealistic pillow. Just doesn't. I don't know. It just doesn't grab me. It's a little flat. You don't want to rest your head on a surrealistic pillow. That sounds amazing. No, I certainly don't. I want to sleep well. I have freaking <laughs> melting clock nightmares. Well, I was conflicted, but I am going to go ahead and nominate this record for the Album Nerds Hall of Fame. Many years ago, I, I spent time with, with this album and really loved it. And, you know, I haven't really gone back to it uh, in, a, in a long time. And I really like it. Wow. And <laughs> really? <laughs> th- 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 this time around, you know, I, I noticed the, the complexity of the rhythm. You know, just the, they, they mess around with the, with the time signatures uh, a little bit. And they, they change the, the tempo a lot. It's a, it's a more complex record than, you know, the, than it appears to be on, on the surface. And it just doesn't sound like, like anything else. Um, so yes, album nerds hall of fame. What do you guys think? Uh, yeah, sure. (laughs) Strong endorsement. I mean, yeah, I, I, I guess I didn't, I have not considered Jefferson airplane to be a cornerstone of that whole sound. I just thought they were part of it. Listening to this album kind of changed my mind on that, our discussion as well. So yeah, I would, I would say absolutely. This is, this sets the tone for, for the era as well as weaving in folk elements that make this a more interesting listen than a straight up psychedelic record. All right, Andy. Yeah. I'm definitely, definitely yes for me. I think they're one of the most interesting bands to come out of that era. And I think this is maybe their most complete record. So yeah, definitely. Well, at the risk of going knee deep in the hoopla, Oh, God. Congratulations. <laughs> Jefferson Airplane Surrealistic Pillow is now in the Album Nerds Hall of Fame. And before you Google that uh, lyric from We Built This City, Starship. It might have been the name of the album, too. Oh, God. I hope not. Excuse me. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Now it's time for Deep Questions with Don. So, you know, we've been talking about, you know, notable romantic relationships uh, in, in music. What other romantic relationships have gotten your attention over the years? Well, I mean, the one that immediately came to mind for me, because my, my wife was just watching a, uh, a documentary on the topic, that was uh, Britney Spears. Mm. Justin Timberwood? Justin Timberlake, yeah. Dated in the early 2000s. <laughs> More importantly, they wore uh, denim matching outfits to some award show or something. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I just, I, I feel kind of bad for her. I, I, you know, she was such a sweet, innocent young woman. She's not that innocent. 
<laughs> well done, sir. She said it. Oh, it's, she tried to prove that she wasn't. And I think she, she went a little too far. But yeah, no, I feel like, I feel like the media and maybe her fans, to some degree, just kind of pushed her over the edge. And I, I do feel like we, we kind of did this to her. I feel a little bad about the whole situation. Yeah. Leave Brittany um, alone. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> I, yeah. The timing too, as as uh, those artists from that era and Britney included started to go into their thirties, that's when social media really started taking off. So as they're trying to find themselves as artists outside of this, you know, pop music world and find themselves as uh, with adult lives and children, then to be getting torn apart constantly, not only by the media but then by individual people. Yeah. That's a lot of weight. It's sort of the ugly of what can happen with with famous couples and what media and social media can do to it yeah it's a yeah. it's a sad story yeah it's so hard when like everything you do is just like scrutinized and photographed and published you know yeah uh i you know i think of a lot of different things when i was a kid just being shocked at the uh helicopters flying around trying to get pictures of sean penn and madonna getting married Oh, yeah. It's like who ca- you know? I remember thinking like, who cares, right? I mean, let's- yeah, two big stars, man. Yeah, but like, why Hollywood you- and music industry come together? That's when it when it really started ramping up. We had Entertainment Tonight yeah. and shows like that. That was all about celebrity news and you know, Enquirer magazines, that kind of thing. But I just remember thinking, why why is this a thing? You yeah. know, and and of course, like John and and John Lennon and Yoko Ono is another that I think about. Where you know, it was a different era. So I think they were able to insulate themselves to some degree. But, you know, that woman got raked through the coals for ruining the Beatles, which is just ridiculous. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's messed up uh, when musicians and famous people try and just, you know, do what everyone else does, which is meet someone, fall in love and try yeah. to enjoy your life, you know? Yeah, I was thinking of the royal family. I mean, I, I know like the, the paparazzi and stuff is even worse in, in Europe um, the, than it is here. But, you know, Princess Di and, and, and Charles, just that whole saga, you know, like I guess when I was coming of age and watching things like Entertainment Tonight or whatever, they'd have, you know, that, that period of time where they were on the outs. And then the, was it Harry and Meghan? I don't even know the names of those people. I mean, it's, it, in 1776, we, we got the right. We got our freedom to not have to care about the royal family. So I'm not sure why it's such a big deal here. <laughs> we might get some letters. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Okay. What romantic relationships have gotten your attention? Let us know on Instagram and Facebook or leave a comment on our website, albumnerds.com. Um, my name is Jack White. And this is my big sister, Meg White, on the drums. And we're from the United States. Thank you for letting us into your home. We really appreciate it. Okay. So I'm going with the White Stripes. There's Jack White, Meg White, married couple, got divorced before uh, the album White Blood Cells, which is what we're going to talk about today. But, you know, their relationship, them speaking about being brother and sister in the media, I think to avoid the whole questions about their marriage and their relationship, turned out to be kind of a very odd, creepy saga after the fact, once once uh, some Detroit newspaper dug up their, their marriage certificate. Uh, the White Stripes were formed in 1997 in Detroit, and it's Jack and Meg. Jack's last name used to be Gillis. He changed it to White when he married Meg, and it stuck. So why don't we jump into the album and listen to a little bit of Dead Leaves and the Dirty Ground. Oh, 
White Blood Cells was the third studio album by the White Stripes, released July 3rd, 2001, recorded in less than a week in Memphis, Tennessee, produced by Jack White. The album dives into themes of love, hope, betrayal, paranoia, influenced by the band's heightened media attention to some degree. Yeah, I mean, Dead Leaves on the Dirty Ground, the opening track, just sums up the sound, uh, that that marching guitar, the way that Meg plays the drums, where it somehow, like, she kind of has a bad rap, like Ringo Starr. But this wouldn't sound like it did without the way that she reacts to the guitar. And just the fact that it's just two of them is is kind of crazy. My clickbait headline, the musical mystery that had fans wondering if it was sibling rivalry or just another day in divorce court. They let the music do the talking. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, what you got, the, the feeling of this, like at the time I was not super into it. I wish I had been. I didn't hear the whole album. I just thought that a band of two was going to be boring and it is totally not, in my opinion. Yeah, I remember when this came out, it was also at the same time as those like the hives and the vines. The strokes. And the, yeah. And so I think think I just kind of lumped it in there, which was which was foolish of me. Yeah, I, I've just never paid a, paid attention to the the White Stripes, uh, you know, and, until now. And I know Jack White is great, and I know he's in like every music documentary made in the past twenty years, talking about you know uh, <laughs> every kind of music. Um, but yeah, I just uh, had never paid attention to it before. So why don't we get into another song? This one's called "The Same Boy You've Always Known." Yeah, uh, Jack reportedly said he wanted this song to be played at his funeral and is one hmm. of the most honestly written songs uh, from his perspective uh, in his career. I love that track, love this record. What do you laugh about? So I was just thinking like how like every other song is a lie and he's just, <laughs> he's just lying to us all the time. And, no, this one's honest. <laughs> Well, I think a lot of them are probably a little fantastical or exaggerated. Yeah. Perhaps being the the most uh, straightforward. I don't know, but yeah, I, I get what you're saying, man. Yeah, it just feels like a very honest perspective. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, going back to this era in music, this did certainly were lumped in with a lot of those other garage rock groups. Um, but for me, they're just head and shoulders above everybody else um, in terms of their just how much meaning I was able to get from from these handful of records. They're simple records. I mean, got Meg's approach to drumming is is about as simple as you possibly can get. But I I think they add a lot of nuance and just creative ideas to the mix here. So my clickbait headline is White Blood Cells Immune from Genre Fad. <laughs> I think, yeah, I mean, this record holds up incredibly well to me. Uh, there's just a lot of really beautiful moments. Um, you know, Jack's like, he has like this defiantness to his, to his lyrics, but yeah, he can be incredibly vulnerable on the next song. So I find that, that, you know, that back and forth dichotomy to be very interesting. You know, he's wrestling with like relationships and his manhood and, and, you know, just his place in the world. Yeah. I guess the question is like, how much of the relationship stuff is about Meg? How much of it is just about, I mean, they were married for a couple of years. There's some discussion about which ones are about him and Meg. And maybe it's just like with anything else, all of your experiences get merged into one. So when you're talking about relationships, it's about, what you've learned from all of it. Yeah. The romantic in me always assumes that, you know, like 
Simblade always known as about Mac, but you never really, you never really know. It's probably, like you said, kind of a, a mixture of things. Um, but they play together really well, regardless of where the relationship is at at this point. Like they are just like so in sync on every track. And I think that sort of like basic, just like beat driven drum style and Jack's like all over the place blues guitar with, you know, all the, the feedback and the reverb and stuff it just it's a really good it's a great mix and they, they make a lot of noise for two people <laughs> if you listen to the albums of the two before this it's super bluesy a lot of blues covers this is the first one that's yeah. all originals and he tries to get away from like slide guitar and blues licks and i mean it's still, under still the blues rock. yeah yeah okay so why don't we listen to one of the quieter tracks pretty well known i think here's a little bit of we're going to be friends Ring the bell, brand new shoes, walking blues, climb the fence, books and pens. I can tell that we are gonna be friends. So I only know that song because it was in the, the credit sequence uh, for Napoleon Dynamite, which is a, a, a film that I love. Uh, it's also the theme song of Conan O'Brien's podcast. Oh, uh, uh, so that song actually it mentions uh, Susie Lee. I guess in future White Stripes records, there's a there's a song called Susie Lee, and then there's another song that is dedicated to a Susie Lee. So Susie Lee keeps popping up, um, you know, I guess throughout the White Stripes history. Yeah, this I mean this is a, just a nice change of pace uh, on the album because there is you know it, it's really kind of in your face you know throughout, and so it's it's nice to to get this pleasant little folky number you yes. know about you know kind of childhood you know childhood connections my uh my clickbait headline is johnny depp lookalike takes rock to new places without changing anything <laughs> and then it later occurred to me that he looks like the mad hatter which i right. didn't realize johnny depp actually played and so there's the you know we're coming full circle sure there, uh, with the alice curiouser and curiouser so I just got to say, um, it's happened a few times on this podcast where I just get blown away by an album that I've never, you know, really paid attention to before. And I just, I love this record. Like, mm -hmm. I, like I already feel like it's one of my favorites of all time. Really? Favorite White Stripes records? or No, favorite? just like period. Oh my gosh. I mean, maybe the other, I have to listen to the other White Stripes records now. But it's weird because... There's really nothing new, right? I mean, he's playing sort of bluesy or, or you know, rock riffs, some of it kind of metal-ish, right? There's a little Sabbath in there and stuff, but just something about it is innovative. The, the way he, he does it, it doesn't sound like, like anything else. And, and his voice, too, you know, like all of a sudden, oh, I think I smell a rat. Yes, yeah. I think I smell a gunk, 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 gunk. It's yeah. like the way that he uses <laughs> this guitar to accentuate and stuff is and the the vocal playfulness is not annoying and you know sometimes it can be when, when groups do that kind of thing mm -hmm. i guess it just never really goes where i expect it to go but it's still pleasing to the ear mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. um so yeah and then if you dig in then there's the the heady stuff like union forever which yeah the, the lyrics are all from citizen kane the film so then there's that kind of like oh true artist sort of <laughs> <laughs> moments when you dig in where you can be like, well, there's more to this than just get, get, get. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that hit me pretty hard when I was 25 watching Citizen Kane for the first time. I was like, what? Jack White? What? It's <laughs> 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 like, I know this song. Come on. Um, yeah, I think he's really great too at just tapping into like childhood. I mean, especially that mm -hmm. song there we just played. Like, yeah. 
he just it just seems more whimsical like i mean kind of in the way like alice in wonderland could come back to that theme but like he feels so in touch with like how i felt as like an eight-year-old you know i, I can really feel that on this record whimsical is a good word for it indeed yeah, so I, I, I do believe that the relationship came into play here. I mean, it's a perfect marriage sonically. I don't know about the the romantic marriage. I don't know how, how that was, but there's something special about this sound and the, and the way that uh, they made beautiful music together. So I am, in fact, going to put this one, uh, nominate this one for the Elden Nerds Hall of Fame. We all kind of gushed, so I'm just going to make this quick. I, yes, obviously, I, I think it belongs. I think it took familiar sounds and somehow made them new, and that's a tough thing to do, and uh, it's impressive. Uh, yeah, it's shoo-in for me as well. I think uh, this and Elephant are among the better records of the 2000s. Um, yeah. Donnie Likey. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so yeah, welcome to the Album Nerds Hall of Fame, White Stripes. So yeah, go check out White Blood Cells and really the whole discography. The albums are pretty frenetic, pretty fast, and pretty freaking cool. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? All right, it was another week in the world of romance, fellas. Um, but anything uh, anything else you're digging on lately? Well, I said it with an apostrophe wow, at the end. Right. It felt weird. <laughs> uh, I will mention a couple new releases I've been digging on. Jay Mascus has a new album out. It's entitled, What Do We Do Now? It's very Jay Mascus-y. So if you're a fan of him, Dinosaur Jr., uh, I think you'll like this record. It is very Jay Mascus-y. Mascus-ish. Mm-hmm. Another new release from the group The Last Dinner Party. The mm-hmm. album's entitled Prelude to Ecstasy. It's kind of like a like a new wave throwback sound. Yeah. Uh, female-led group since, but there's also some very adult lyrics. It's pretty interesting. It's got a lot of buzz. Anthony Fantano just uh, gave it a pretty high recommendation. I haven't listened to it, but that, that little clip there sounds... Uh, I caught an 80s, you know, new wave vibe. So yeah, I'll check it out. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to mention uh, the Grammys were last week, <sighs> last Sunday night. Happened to just catch a little bit of it myself. How do you guys feel about the Grammys? Relevant Meh. or totally? Yeah. I mean, good for that. I mean, it's cool, I guess. It's yeah. good exposure for, for artists. When, I haven't seen it since the 90s. I used to only watch for the musical performances. Yeah, they usually have like, some interesting pairings. I think the big one on this year's performance was um, from uh, Billy Joel. Featured a new song at the end of the show. Um, but yeah, the big winners were, you know, Taylor Swift won for Best Album, Midnight's, uh, Boy Genius was pretty well presented, uh, Best Alternative Music Album, uh, Miley Cyrus also won a whole bunch of Grammys as well. So yeah, big names getting bigger, yep. <laughs> as is often the case in the music industry. But yeah, it could be worse. A lot of, a lot of women definitely were well represented there this year, I felt like, so that's cool. Nice. How about you, Don? Well, I apologize. I've talked about the Pet Shop Boys oh, a, a, a lot lately, but it just happened to be that they just uh, announced that they'll be releasing a, a new album on April 26, called Nonetheless. Actually going to be their first time working with uh, producer James Ford. They had a little promo for this before the film that I just saw uh, a couple of weeks ago. I, I dragged Andy to that with me. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry I couldn't make it, guys. No. <laughs> <laughs> you were there in spirit. <laughs> 
so yeah, so their they their latest single is called uh, Loneliness. Check it out. All right, so for me, what I've been digging is stumbled upon a uh, documentary on Peacock. Peacock. It's a three it's a three part documentary called Kings from Queens, the Run DMC story. Uh, watched episode one. It was awesome, and my wife both were just super into it. Looking forward to watching the next two. But uh, cool. Just you know, part one was about the early days, their formation, how the recording process. It was awesome. I mean, th- these guys are so entertaining and enigmatic that it doesn't matter if you're a hip hop fan, you should totally check it out. And then, uh, as as always, I try to I go to the record shop and I try and find some new stuff for the collection. And uh, I stumbled upon an old used copy of Prince and the Revolution Parade, which I did not previously own. The uh, record itself is in pretty good shape, but the the cover is a little a little beat. But that's okay. Just happy to have it in the collection. And um, I also picked up Judy Collins' Wildflowers. Oh yeah, good record. Good but yeah, I love doing my record shopping, and that's always fun. Uh, what are you digging lately? Let us know. Hit us on Facebook, Instagram, and Threads at Album Nerds, or go to our website, albumnerds.com. It will be a discovery of extraordinary value. Well, it's about that time again on the show where I'm reminded of the musings of famed Irish poet and playwright Oscar Wilde. Mm, Happens to me all the time. Yes, he's known for famously saying, the very essence of romance is uncertainty. And so with that thought in mind, we bring out my friend and yours, Wadbot, to tell us what's next in the romance series. Maybe you should quote Oscar Mayer. My baloney (laughs) has a first name. (laughs) Your musical journey through romance continues. Next week, you will be exploring albums that in some way represent major stages of relationships. Get ready to embark on a journey through new love all the way to the end, which can sometimes lead to new beginnings. So, yeah, trying to break down albums that somehow uh, touch upon the stages of relationships, the the spicy beginning, the comfortable wonders of of the middle as you continue to build your relationship. And, of course, sometimes relationships come to an end. So we'll be looking at at that perspective as well. Should be super challenging. (laughs) It's going to be really freaking hard. We'll do it somehow. (laughs) Well, what's your favorite relationship record? What else are you listening to? Leave a comment on our website or email us at podcast.albumnerds.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and threads at Album Nerds. Please subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so via PayPal at albumnerds.com slash support. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Album Nerds Podcast. We'll catch you next time with those phases and stages and heartbreak and happiness. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week. And uh, yeah. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> I can't do that one. And Wow. There's a new diva in town.